This is Reverend Kirk Lawton, minister at Ocean Lakes Family Campground, and this is our podcast. Our prayer is that this message may enrich your life as you find God especially meaningful to you. Thank you for worshiping with us. Nowhere in the entire Old Testament is there a more colorful and interesting person than we find in the man David. The pages of his life read like one success story after another. As a youth, David was known for his bravery and his dependability. You remember how as a shepherd lad, he killed the lion and the bear. And finally, in a great burst of patriotism, he volunteered to go to battle against the mightiest man in the entire Philistine army. We know of his success as he killed Goliath and saved the day for God's people. As a young man, David was anointed by Samuel to be king. But David did not let this fact swell his head in ambitious glory-seeking. Although he had the acclaim of many people, although he could well have taken the crown from Saul, although he could have killed Saul, yet he waited until it was the right time for the crown to come upon his head. David was an able military leader. During his reign, the boundaries of Israel were enlarged. The enemies of Israel were kept away. His wisdom and bravery as a general are matters of record. David's administrative skills were shown by the fact that he was able to put the nation together. He came to the throne at a time when Israel was hardly a nation at all. But by the time he was finished, David had subdued his enemies from without, secured the throne from within, had chosen a capital and beautified it, and had given permanent structure to the government. Also, David's talent as an artist is to be noted. As a lover of the beauty in life, he was shown, this was shown in his ability to soothe the worried mind of King Saul. Even to this day, Jews and Christians are blessed and inspired and calmed by the poetic beauty of David's Psalms. Many of the 150 Psalms in our Bible are from the pen of this man, David. David was the most famous of all the ancestors of Jesus. You know, Jesus was not called the son of Abraham or the son of Jacob, but our Lord was referred to as the son of David. Surely from all these wonderful things about this man, we might well conclude that his life was a complete total success. And it was, publicly. But in many ways, David was a private failure. The successes of David's public life are matched only by his failures in his private life. If you're a careful reader of Scripture, you know some of these. 2 Samuel chapter 11 gives the background for much of this. Wherein was David a private failure? Well, let's look at just a few things. First, he embarrassed his throne with his adultery. There's probably no sin more public in all Bible history as this. And yet it started out in all innocence, he thought. But adultery was only the beginning. David was also a murderer. 
Oh, he didn't take the sword and kill with his own hand. He did it by proxy, ordering Uriah the Hittite to the front lines in battle where it was certain that he would be killed. Well, this did happen. Then David took the wife of Uriah, a woman named Bathsheba, whom he had already been having an affair with, as another one of his own wives. A third example of the failure in David's private life concerns two of his sons, Amnon and Absalom, who fought over the matter of Amnon's incest with his half-sister, Tamar. Amnon was killed, and some of the skeletons in the family closet began to come to public attention. At the end of his life, David wanted to build a temple for the worship of God. But God said that David should not have this honor. It was a real rebuke for a man who had built a nation, but whose hands were so stained with blood, he was not allowed to build God's temple. We've seen in some detail now how David's public success was matched by his failures in private life. Moving now across the years, we find that there are many, even in our day, who fit that same pattern. They may be quite successful to all outward appearances, but when it comes to their own inward and personal lives, well, that's another matter. Let me give you several uh, made-up illustrations of what I'm talking about. Here is a young boy, we'll say, let's just call him Billy. He comes from a respectable, middle-class home. Could be a home a lot like yours. During the first several years in school, Billy finds it easy and he makes good grades. His parents are quite happy with his report card. But as the years go by, Billy finds that it gets harder and harder to keep up those good grades. He has a chance one day to cheat on some of his work. Since he gets by the first time without being caught, he just keeps it up. And before long, cheating has become a pattern for Billy. He still has the good grades now, but cheating is a way of life for him. Good grades are rather public, whereas cheating is more private. So Billy is known in his school as a public success, but he really is a private failure. Let's think up another example. Here's a young married woman whom we'll call Mary. She has a job outside the home where she works from eight to five. And in this job, she's looked up to as being quite good. She's professional, in fact. Everyone who deals with Mary in her work respects her ability. But there's another side to Mary's life. In her marriage, things are not going very well. To put it rather plainly, Mary and her husband are not getting along at all. She is involved now with another man whom she thinks she loves because this other person has all the qualities that she wants in her husband, but her husband lacks. Mary's boss at work knows about her private sin, but he says he'll just overlook it as long as Mary goes on being the business success that she is, bringing in the money to his business. So Mary is a public success but in many vital ways, she's a private failure. Let's give one other 
example. John Doe is a successful businessman. He's made quite a lot of money in his day, and he's not spent it foolishly either. He is so well respected in the business world that <clears throat> when John Doe speaks, others listen. But when he comes home, it's a different matter. His children do not respect him. His wife has already left him emotionally. But wherever John is seen about town, people are quick to refer to him as a success based on his public life alone. I wonder if John Doe is really happy with his success. Don't you imagine that in the privacy of his own heart, John may feel that he's more of a failure than he is a success? I think there's one conclusion we can draw from all these three examples. No person is happy with public success and private failure. Oh, sure, there may be an initial time when the glitter dazzles our eyes. We think that all is going just the way we want it to. But the real truth is that this is only temporary. Someone has said sin takes a high polish but it is very thin. When there's a breakdown in a person's private life, then the hurt seems to overshadow all the glory of public success. Here again, David can serve as an illustration. Let me set the story in its setting. Absalom, the son of David, has rebelled against his father and has led an armed revolt News comes to David by way of a messenger that the revolt has been crushed and his throne is now secure once again. In spite of Absalom's waywardness, David still loves his son Absalom. Now, let's pick up the story right here from the scripture and read from 2 Samuel chapter 18, a few verses, beginning with verse 31. Then the man from Cush arrived and said, I have good news for my Lord the King. Today Jehovah has rescued you from all those who rebelled against you. What about young Absalom? Is he all right? The king demanded. The man replied, May all of your enemies be as that young man is. Then the king broke into tears, went up to his room over the gate, crying as he went. Oh, my son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom, if only I could have died for you. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. And those were the words of David as he cried his heart out when Absalom was killed. Well, David's throne is secure now. The rebellion is over, but where is David's joy? The private side of David is in grief. This is how it is when you make all the money in the world and lose your own son. This is how it is when you have the most beautiful house in town, and yet the home inside that house is falling apart. But where is the gospel in this kind of situation? Is there any hope for those listening to me right now who may be feeling that you are a public success, but that success is overshadowed by private failure. Well, the good news begins with the fact that God makes no distinction 
between our public and our private lives. We sometimes like to think that our lives are compartmentalized. We have our business life, we have our social life, have our family life, our religious life, so on. But not so. A person is not divided up. A person is a complete person. You remember what Jesus had to say about those who were clean in public, but dirty in private? Clean on the outside, but dirty on the inside. Let me read just a few verses from Matthew 23, beginning with verse 27. Woe to you, Pharisees, you religious leaders. You're like beautiful mausoleums full of dead men's bones and of foulness and corruption. You try to look like saintly men, but underneath those pious robes of yours are hearts besmirched with every sort of hypocrisy and sin. Well, you may be asking the question, how is this good news? Well, when we know that God sees all and knows all about us, our nice front that we put up is transparent to Him. We're like Adam and Eve, realizing now that we could not hide from God. We're like Isaiah who cried out, Woe is me! And we're like David who confessed, Against thee, thee only have I sinned. And here is where the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ enters the picture. You see, as long as we try to hide, there's no peace within, no real joy. It's only through admission of our guilt, confession of our sin, that a right relationship with our Lord can begin. And then only can release from our slavery to sin be realized. In the early days of his ministry, Dr. Norman Vincent Peale said, I received a phone call one day asking me to come to a house on Riverside Drive. As I stopped my car in the driveway and looked at that palatial mansion, I wondered what could trouble anyone who had a house like this. I knocked on the door. A butler ushered me into the spacious living room. Evidence of wealth was everywhere. Several choice paintings of old masters were on the walls. And as I waited for the lady who had called me to come, I could not resist walking over to stand in front of one of those paintings. I was lost in that painting's beauty when this lady entered the room and spoke. I apologized to her. I said, ma'am, anyone who has the privilege of living in a house like this must be both deeply grateful and very happy. Without a word, she walked over to a mahogany table in the center of the room, opened a drawer. She took out a pearl-handled revolver and laid it on the table, then turned very slowly to face me. Dr. Peel, she said, I would have used this on myself, but for the embarrassment it would have caused my friends and my loved ones. I am utterly miserable inside. Everything that you think is so attractive in this house is overshadowed by the misery that is in my heart. Oh yes, material things alone were never intended to make life full and happy. Nor did God intend that all we think is essential to happiness be a part of our lives. 
when these things are not in keeping with his will. You can be happy anywhere if your relationship with God is right. But you cannot be happy anywhere if your relationship with him is wrong. The wonderful news of the gospel of Jesus is that when we feel that our lives are private failures, then the Lord is willing to take those broken pieces of our lives and put them back together again. Jesus died to restore a right relationship between the sinner and God. Someone said, God can mend any broken heart, but first he must have all the pieces. So it is with any life. Jesus can take your life. He can restore joy and peace like you have never known to exist before. As you look at your life today, would you give him those broken pieces? Whatever sins that have been buried deep down inside, the failures that you can never repair, you can't go back, you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube, but the Lord is willing to receive you, to cleanse your heart, and to give you a new direction in life. He's waiting to receive you. We're going to sing in just a moment a hymn, Softly and Tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling for you and for me. Come home, come home. Ye who are weary, come home. Earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling. Calling, O sinner, come home. Lord, we're all sinners. We all have different degrees of sin, but we can't compare our sin with somebody else's. You know our heart. You know us individually. And for that sin that maybe we've never confessed to you, we want to do it right now. Oh God, thank you that you're a giving God and you also are a forgiving God. And may every person who's worshiped with us today find that forgiveness that only Jesus can offer. This we pray in his wonderful saving name. Amen.